This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. We hope you enjoy this episode from our series, Famous Fates. It's about the impactful lives and shocking deaths of history's most influential people. To hear even more episodes each week, subscribe to Famous Fates exclusively on Spotify. How will I know when it's Alexandria on the horizon? You will feel it in your heart, Cleopatra. You will feel the god in your soul rise up. Are you sure they will welcome us? We return with the forces of Rome at our back. Alexandria is no home to their kind. Bernice will not be pleased. The pleasure of your older sister is not my primary concern. But she is our family. Is such a contingent truly necessary? Clear your mind of such youthful fancy. We are of the Ptolemaic line. We are no family. We are a battleground of gods. We guide beautiful Egypt with only one another as competitors. There is no Rome. There is no other realm as far as we must concern ourselves. The fate of Egypt is in our hands. And if we must bloody our own to keep it safe... It saddens me. Berenice was always kind to me as a child. Yet the moment you began to walk, to speak, to learn, you became the enemy, Cleopatra. We cannot trust our own blood, only judge them, and sometimes find them lacking. God King of Egypt, hail! Alus Gabinius, do you ride well? Very well. My men yearn to experience the majesty of Alexandria and reclaim it in your rightful name. And your Roman men will always find a home there as long as my true line rules. Where are your sons? Should the girl not return to her carriage? The dust cannot be good for her complexion. How dare you? The girl must learn the ways of war, Louis. Words sound like madness to my ears. But who am I to question a god? Do you know what the name Cleopatra means, noble Gabinius? Uh, only that many of your women wear it. It means the glory of the father. When I was born, a sliver of my father's soul passed into mine. It made me into the god who now rides before you. I urge you to reign in your beast, for to ride ahead of us is an affront and a bad omen for your future in Alexandria. Tell me, great pharaoh, of course I meant no disrespect. Alexandria will soon be yours again. Ride well, god king. And you as well, Cleopatra. Glory of the father, indeed. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. And I'm Carter Roy. Welcome to Famous Fates, a ParCast original exclusive to Spotify. 
each week we'll release five fresh episodes centered around a common theme, such as Hollywood icons, influential women, or music legends. In each episode, we'll take a close look at the remarkable life of a different person. With the help of voice actors, we'll dramatize their incredible lives, reimagining their greatest and weakest moments. Then we'll examine their controversial deaths. Some deaths came too soon, some remain shrouded in mystery, and some changed the world forever. Today we're covering Cleopatra VII Philopator, Empress of the Nile. Her death is memorialized in Shakespeare's Antony and Cleopatra, but her life held an equal caliber of drama. You can find episodes of Famous Fates and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. To stream Famous Fates for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Famous Fates in the search bar. Famous Fates is a Spotify exclusive, so you can only find it on Spotify. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Now, back to the life of Cleopatra. After years of exile from Alexandria due to the interference of his daughter Berenice, Ptolemy XII and Cleopatra returned home in 55 BC. But before we return with them, let's backtrack a little further. Because to truly understand the story of Egypt's last Ptolemaic pharaoh, it's best to understand the strange world of the Ptolemaic line in its entirety. It all began with Alexander the Great, the legendary Macedonian leader who conquered much of the known world by 323 BC. Upon his first visit to Egypt, he founded the city of Alexandria as his promised land, only to die soon afterward. As his empire fractured at the seams, one of Alexander's greatest generals took charge of Alexandria, Ptolemy I. Seeing his chance and taking it, he defended Egypt from outside invaders and took up the mantle of the Egyptian pharaoh. This was an interesting tactic. Although Ptolemy had no connection to the past pharaohs of Egypt in terms of bloodline, by adopting the traditions and imagery of the role, he reclaimed it for himself and the coming Ptolemaic line. One of those traditions was in naming. Most men were called Ptolemy, and most women took the name Arsinoe, Berenice, or Cleopatra. Over the years, two key motifs developed. The Ptolemy family would marry their siblings, and they would kill their siblings. Like Ptolemy XII taught Cleopatra VII, the Ptolemaic line was a crowded one, and if you wanted power, you had to fight to make your voice heard. While both kings and queens were held in high esteem, only a few women were ever able to rule alone. Death or imprisonment quickly found them. Such was the story of our Cleopatra's older sister, Berenice IV. When Ptolemy XII and Gabinius stormed into Alexandria, they ended her rule and executed her. Cleopatra was baptized by fire into this tradition of family warfare. She became her father's co-regent and deputy at 14 years old, during a particularly rocky period in Ptolemaic history. Their rule was spread wide across seas to Cyrus and Cyrenica, and the influence of the Roman Republic spurred discord as famine and floods wreaked havoc on Egyptian lands. Then, in March 51 BC, Ptolemy XII fell gravely ill. Father, can you still see me? Of course. My little Isis, my glory, 
I will see you until the heavens collapse in on themselves. Father, you must stay strong. Egypt is not done with you yet. Where are your brothers? Your sister? They fear the state you are in. They cannot face you as you are. Yet you stare me down as if I were twenty years younger. I know your soul remains a fire. You taught me the strength of the Ptolemaic soul. You have great ability, Cleopatra. A power of words and will. It is the quiet power of woman. The unseen force beneath beauty. Wisdom and training, you always said. And father, I have a request for you today. Hmm? Ptolemy the thirteenth. He readies himself to lead. As he should. He is your brother and ruler. Yet I am the one you have raised for the position, am I not? While not in my original plan, yes, Cleopatra. You are my true heir. But in the eyes of Egypt, your brother is a necessity. I don't understand, father. He's too rash. When Ptolemy I founded our dynasty, he founded it on the tradition of the gods before him. To every Horus, there must be Isis. And for each Isis, a Horus in turn. This world and its current state, I believe it too dangerous for you alone. Then your mind truly isn't the same as it once was. How dare you? You are still my daughter. And I obey, as I always do, father. But I know that Egypt will one day be mine alone. This family grows weaker by each generation. It is my blood that leads us into a true future. I will not mingle it with my brothers. Take this as my final lesson, then. Rise as far as you can, daughter, but keep your eyes from drifting to the sky, for it leaves you exposed. <laughs> Father, rest, and rest assured, my reign will be the last insecure one in the history of the world. I will bring our Egypt to the sky with me. Within days, Ptolemy XII passed away, and Cleopatra and her middle brother Ptolemy XIII were declared joint regents of the Egyptian kingdom. Cleopatra was right about one thing. Generations of incestuous relationships did lead to health and mental problems in the family, and Ptolemy XIII was a weak and rather ineffective royal presence. While Cleopatra married the Thirteenth, they produced no heirs together. It didn't take long for her little brother to realize that Cleopatra didn't plan to share too much of the spotlight with him. You've gone too far, sister. What could it be this time, little one? How dare you disrespect me like this? For eons, the face of the pharaoh has graced our Egyptian coin. Now all that remains is your womanly visage. You left me no choice. Does tradition mean so little to you? While citizens bend the knee to us, you must bend the knee to me. I am the male heir of the Ptolemaic reign. I am the chosen son of Alexander's Egypt. Have your eyes been closed your entire life? We memorize tradition, but I at least have learned the world is a very different place than the texts give us. Hundreds of years have passed since the founding of our line, brother. Even you must admit. Do you even want to be ruler? I... I do not care for the insinuation. Do not try to simply talk your way out of decorum. You cannot remake the world in your image by removing mine. Observe me and you will be proven wrong. While young Cleopatra managed to raise herself above Ptolemy XIII in the public eye, it only urged him to go further into revolt. He turned to the legions of Roman soldiers left behind by Aulus Gabinius, known as the Gabiniani. You see, Cleopatra had given up Gabignani soldiers after a group of them murdered a Syrian governor's son, 
their Roman pride perfectly matched Ptolemy XIII's. Ptolemy XIII kindled the anger of those who opposed Cleopatra's feminine dominance, and soon her enemies came home to roost. Sister, is that you? Keep your head down. My guards have checked these passages, but one can never be sure of the shadows in Alexandria. Brother aims to have your head. At least he's learning how this leadership role actually functions. Only you could find something admirable in such treachery. I must be impressed. He reined in his foolish impulses enough to unify a force of more intelligent men against me. At least he gives us a game to play. A game? Sister, we're fleeing for our lives! You could stay. Unfortunately, you have not made it very secure for the Ptolemaic women. Have you noticed that we're the only ones left? Then let it be known, Arsinoe. We won't be the only ones left for long. Still you cling to hopes of victory? Where will we go? How will we return? Our little brother thinks he's the strongest man in the world. He's very wrong. You know stronger. Not yet. But I will. We'll return to our story in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the life of Cleopatra. As Cleopatra cooled off in exile, Ptolemy XIII tried his hand at global politics. He had his chance when Rome descended onto its first wave of civil war, with would-be dictator Julius Caesar aligned against the lauded Roman general Pompey. Caesar pushed Pompey out of Rome, and the general's retreat landed him in Egypt. Cleopatra had predicted correctly. 13-year-old Ptolemy wanted to play with the big boys, so when Pompey got off his ship, Ptolemy XIII arrested him. And then, in front of Pompey's wife and children, the pharaoh ordered the beheading of the infamous Roman. Ptolemy thought such a bold move would win him favor with Julius Caesar. It did the opposite. While Pompey had become his enemy, Caesar was a patriot in his heart and found the foreign execution distasteful and heartbreaking. In response, Caesar himself stormed into Alexandria, easily assuming command in the wake of Cleopatra and Ptolemy's power struggle. With the new man in charge, One freed from petty concerns about tradition, Cleopatra devised a way to make her way back into power. As Caesar took up residence in the royal hall of the pharaohs, Cleopatra found aid from her old loyal servants, rolled herself up into an ornate rug, and was hand-delivered into Caesar's chamber. Place it there. I'll set it up myself. What? Who are you? I figured you might be pleased to receive a gift such as me. Well, the content is surely welcome, but the motivation must be questioned. Help me stand, at least. I trust you have no hidden blade? Look at me, mighty Caesar. Where would I hide such a thing? (sighs) (sighs) My name is Cleopatra VII Philopator, rightful ruler of Egypt. The exiled queen. I come and go as I please. Somehow I doubt this. Well, shouldn't I? As a Roman, you of all men should understand the struggle for viable leadership. I assume you've met my brother. 
the killer of Pompey. A boy without a head took a true Romans for his own. Unforgivable. That is still under consideration. Consider no more, Julius Caesar. I bring you your answer in the form of woman. Your words carry little logic as of yet, but still I feel purpose radiate from you. As opposed to the cold, sweaty desperation of your kin. You need only look upon my little brother to see weakness. Tell me, do I carry any of his look in me? No. I see fire. It solidifies my core. I've been told by many men I was born to be made into monuments. Assured self-flattery has never rung so true to my ears. I know the secret of beauty, Caesar. Without ambition, without passion, without wisdom, there is no such thing as beauty. Life is not lived for statues or stone. Stone can barely capture true essence. The greatest among us have so many monuments made because the artist cannot help but attempt to capture a flickering second of our lifelong fire. And do you see such essence in any but yourself? That is my final wonder. I was carried here in a bundle of dust and wool. You believe someone like me would be subjected to such treatment if I did not believe that. Together, my Caesar, we could make such fine monuments. <laughs> hmm. With nothing but charm, Cleopatra seduced the greatest man in Roman history to her side. In 47 BC, exactly nine months after first meeting, Cleopatra gave birth to Caesar's son, Ptolemy Caesar, the merging of two great families. His nickname was Caesarion, which meant Little Caesar. She was 21 and Caesar was 52. But with the birth of Caesarion, Cleopatra sealed her alliance. Julius backed her claim against Ptolemy XIII. This was the final violent reckoning of the Ptolemaic line. Ptolemy XIII raised an army against his sister and the Roman. Cleopatra's last surviving sister, Arsinoe, fed up with her sister's plotting and perhaps fearful for her own life down the road, chose to stand with Ptolemy and the tradition that entailed. With Arsinoe's leadership a great aid to Ptolemy, Caesar's forces became trapped in the city during an event that became known to history as the Siege of Alexandria. It took Caesar some time to rally reinforcements. He captured Ptolemy, but the other side traded the pharaoh for Arsinoe. Cleopatra promptly threw her traitorous sister into confinement, while Ptolemy went against his word and continued the conflict. When Caesar finally broke the siege, he faced off against Ptolemy XIII on the Nile, the site of Pompey's murder, and defeated him once and for all. As his ships burned in the river, Cleopatra watched her brother drown. Caesar declared Cleopatra and her youngest and final brother, Ptolemy XIV, co-regents, yet this time, Cleopatra's dominance was guaranteed. In 47 BC, accompanied by both infant Caesarion and Ptolemy XIV, followed Caesar back to Rome for the first time. This was a scandalous decision on their part, as Caesar was already married to Calpurnia, yet he still housed his foreign mistress in his country home. Caesar went so far as to erect a statue of Cleopatra as Isis in the Temple of Venus in the middle of the Forum Julian, tantamount to declaring her a Roman icon. She would continue to come visit him over the next three years, solidifying her status in Roman society, and angering the senators like Cicero and Cassius, who opposed Caesar's growing control and influence. This was already a momentous time. With the defeat of Pompey, Caesar ascended to another level, 
eventually becoming consul without any sort of co-consul, breaking Roman tradition and establishing himself as essentially dictator for life. Cleopatra still held some power over him. For instance, after she introduced him to her astrologer, Caesar updated the Roman calendar as a hybrid with Egypt's, creating what is essentially our modern Western calendar. Yet not every sweet nothing Cleopatra whispered in his ear worked its magic. Her primary concern was directed towards Caesarion's future. Cleopatra, my love. I received word, but it was locked in ceaseless debate with the tiresome Cicero. Cato's demise has only urged these fools onward in their campaign against me. I received word of my own regarding your nephew, Octavian. Do you choose to oppose my decision-making? I come from a land where blood flows from the gods to the rulers. I only assumed the same would be true under the leadership of a man such as yourself. Octavian is my nephew. Caesarion is your son. A ridiculous name for a boy. He's already enough of a controversy as he is. Would you like me to name you Queen of Rome as well? I've never asked for such a thing. You know I haven't. The wolf you're with would eat you alive, and I need you breathing. Sometimes I get the feeling I am little but a stepping stone to you. Do not pretend I am anything but an afterthought to you. I do not mind it, Julius. I know I can never truly live in Rome, but why would I? Alexandria is my great kingdom. I only seek to unify and empower both. You seek a world order that the world is not ready to sustain. I do not plan to wait on the world to catch up. My job is to lead. Isn't that our purpose? Or have you lost that too in the fog of your own power? Woman. Woman! Do not leave me here! That is why I am leaving this empire, Julius, and taking our son back to the one he is suited to. Cleopatra broke Caesar's hard heart. But before her carriage had left Rome, her ex-lover was assassinated by his own senators. Perhaps feeling inspired, when she returned to Alexandria, Cleopatra proceeded to poison the final brother, Ptolemy. Little 14th died before he even reached puberty. In all honesty, knowing the reach of her ambition, such a quiet fate was probably a mercy to the boy. Doing what Caesar would not, Cleopatra named Caesarion her co-regent, the Horus to her Isis. She prepared to raise him as the ultimate successor to both the Western and Eastern worlds. It was a perfect arrangement for Cleopatra's ruling style. Her co-regent was still swaddled in baby's cloth and was completely under her control. So she began to make some big political moves. And the first was siding with the Caesarian side in the renewed Roman Civil War. While Brutus and Cassius raged against the status quo, the new Roman triumvirate, controlled mainly by Caesar's best friend and general Mark Antony and his heir apparent Octavian, fought to hold on to the old Rome. In 41 BC, Cleopatra is called before Mark Antony in Tarsus, a city in modern-day Turkey. Consul Antony, Cleopatra of Egypt comes before you today. Gods are excused. Leave her with me. Yes, please, guards. I see you come with your charm intact. Not to mention a grand parade at your back. Did I? I do not even notice such things anymore. <laughs> I was very prepared to dislike you. After everything. I am always prepared to be disliked, Triumvir. Please, Julius was friend to us both. Let us dismiss the formality. I sense that your invitation was more of an order than anything else. Excuse any formal preparation I may have taken. In the public eye, I wanted this to be recorded as an accusation. 
but there is little doubt in my mind that you are on the side of the Caesareans. You need not look further than the name of my only son. Lovely Cleopatra. My true purpose in asking you here is to request your help. I intend to make war against the Parthians. I must display skill above the sorts of my fellow triumvirs. I fear it would be the only way to hold our Rome together. I am and always have been a woman of unification. Power must be held by the most responsible among us. Yet there are rumors that you do not play well with others. Your dead brethren husbands speak to this. I did say I believe only the most responsible should hold power. By any means. Forgive this digression. Julius always spoke of your beauty. When I saw you at his villa, I thought perhaps it was an exaggeration on his part, but yet... Say it. I already know it myself. You are Radiance Incarnate. Nothing so complex, Mark Antony. I am a goddess and a queen. I simply know it to be true, and so it is. So it is. So began the partnership of Antony and Cleopatra, both in love and war. We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now, let's continue the story. In December, 40 BC, Cleopatra gave birth to twins from Antony, Alexander Helios II and Cleopatra Selene II. While the two parted company for four years, the next time Antony came to Alexandria, en route for his war against the Parthians, he called it his home. And Cleopatra, his wife, without even annulling his marriage to Octavian's sister, Octavia Minor. Cleopatra had finally been able to wrangle a Roman man into her empire. Soon after came their third child, Ptolemy Philadelphus. And with a few words, Cleopatra destroyed the last of her Ptolemaic rivals. Off her command, Antony executed Arsinoe for her treasonous involvement with the siege of Alexandria. There were no more siblings to challenge her rule. Mm, It is humorous. Only far from the Republic of Rome do I actually feel free. Rome calls itself free. Alexandria always has been. Says the almighty Pharaoh. My people know what I have sacrificed for them. Of course they do, my beautiful Isis. And you will have to sacrifice no more. Together, we've created the family of a new civilization. Mm, Tell me of these plans. Let me hear them from your lips. For Alexander, the lands of Armenia, Media, and Parthia. For Selene, Cyrenaica, perhaps Libya. For little Philadelphus? Why, Syria, Phoenicia, and Cilicia, of course. All of these lands will be ours. They already are, but they have yet to realize it. If Caesar was our time's Alexander, you and I shall be its Ptolemy. And what of Rome? What of that foul-smelling place? You are a Roman man, after all. Will you leave it to Octavian? We already have our disagreements. It's only a matter of time until he turns on us. Then we will crush him too, and I will give that city back to my son. A true Caesar. This I will do for you, Nia Isis, and you will be above all, the Queen of Kings. I've never met a man who could match my words before. Well, I still believe you have a few languages on me, don't you? Good thing we have all the time in the world. Legitimized in a way by Antony's presence, Cleopatra and Caesarion rose to their highest level of recognition yet. Cleopatra as Isis and Caesarion as Horus, living gods to the citizens of Egypt. Yet Cleopatra was determined to diverge from the line of Ptolemy in significant ways, creating her own kind of dynasty. 
Who? Hush, my child. I've only come in to look on you. I'm a grown man, mother. You're barely twelve. My uncles were dead and gone by this time in their lives. Your uncles were not you. Always remember that. I will leave you if my presence disturbs. Oh no, beloved mother. Of course not. I was not even asleep. You cannot find yourself in dreams. Nights are not restful for me, mother. Ever since the grand ceremony with Mark Antony and your other children, I, I feel as if there's too much for me to be thinking of. That is an admirable trait for a ruler. But you are not a full-blooded one yet. Leave the worries for me for the time being. But if I'm your Horus, king of all civilization, how can I ever sleep? Hmm. It is a question I often asked myself when my father would keep me up late with my studies, telling me endless tales of the bloody history of our line. But that is why I have done what I have done, to end the violence of our family, to make it a true family once again. Only from there do I see any peace for civilization, any true benevolent power. I shed blood in hopes of draining all the toxins from the world so that I may hand you something pure and beautiful. Yet you rely on Rome, as your father did. Though I confide in you, do not mistake it for subservience. Keep that blade from your words. Do not try to cut me with them. You will fail. But I excuse your perspective. It must seem that way to you. But I promise, my son, I am beholden to no Roman man, no Caesar or Antony. I hope you know they all underestimate you. Everyone always does. <gasps> oh, I know it, my son. They always have. Then I will dream tonight, mother, of the day you stand before the burning fields of Western men and they beg you for gentle rain. Outside of Alexandria, Antony's neglected relations with Rome and Octavian resulted in a final breakdown between the two final triumvirs in 33 BC. Octavian rallied the Roman Senate against Antony by appealing to their fear of Cleopatra and her desires to absorb the Roman state into her own. By 31 BC, Octavian had amassed an army with which to invade Egypt. Antony and Cleopatra prepped for final war. To fund her army, Cleopatra dug into the long-guarded gold vaults of Alexander. Some decreed this is a sign of weakness, but in Cleopatra's mind, she was simply using up the last of the resources left to her by her now impotent ancestors. Her duty was to present-day Egypt. That summer, Antony's navy sailed against Octavians off the coast of Actium. Cleopatra's own fleet approached the melee from afar. My goddess, smoke rises on the horizon. Do our visors give us no clarity? Who is burning, Octavian or Antony? Both sides wear Roman colors, and both sides take fire. But the line is breaking in our direction. I believe Octavian has triumphed on this day. Benevolent goddess, what shall we do? Antony, you damned fool. Signal to him. We make a retreat. This will have to be a ground war. I am not sure that will be achievable. I will not let Alexandria stand unguarded as that Roman ingrate rapes her shores. Turn the fleet. Antony has failed us. Retreat! 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 
Cleopatra was no fool. She would not be making a romantic last stand with Antony on this day, not when her true love of Alexandria still remained in her grasp. Her support would have been useless anyway. The military mind of Octavian was too great. Antony's fleet broke, and he too fled toward Alexandria, with Octavian hot on his tail. When Cleopatra reached her home, the realization dawned. This would have to be her final bastion. Truly accurate records break down here, with multiple variations on the same basic history. Cleopatra, along with her two handmaidens, Iris and Charmian, took refuge inside of Cleopatra's giant monument to herself as Isis. They barred the doors behind them. Smart, as Cleopatra realized that whichever Roman man reached her first, Octavian or Antony, neither would be too pleased with her at the moment. It was true. Antony was devastated at her abandonment, but he had bigger problems. When he reached Dryland, he could not rally his remaining troops to his cause. On August 1st, 30 BC, Antony's army deserted him and joined up with Octavian. Antony arrived at Cleopatra's figurative doorstep, broken and alone. I know she awaits the end here. Where else would she flee? She's used up all her bodyguards, led me into destruction. Where else could she go? Roman Antony, speak to me well, boy. I'm seemingly the last true believer in Western civilization. I come with unfortunate news. She refuses to see me. Is that it? I give her an empire and she will let me rot on these parched streets? I fear... I fear the Pharaoh is dead. Impossible. I fear she has passed from us. It is all gone? Then... Plutarch tells us that Antony then took a blade to himself in attempted suicide. While again, sources diverge, Plutarch's narrative continues that even this could not kill Antony. He lay in the street, begging for death, for anyone to finish the job. When Cleopatra heard this, still alive and well in her monument, she altered her plan. Perhaps a shred of love remained in her heart. Antony was brought before the still-doomed pharaoh. As Octavian closed in on the city, he was literally hauled up by ropes into an opening on the side of Cleopatra's monument. <coughs> you... You are too clever, Nia Isis, and much too cruel. Look at him. Iris, get him water. For the sake of Rome, get me wine. The last cask belongs to you. You will not split it with me? I must keep my head for the false Caesar. As I lay in the streets and heard his legions approach, I was almost thankful you were dead. Cleopatra, you cannot allow him to capture you. Flee while you have the chance. I will not leave my city to this barbarian. <coughs> you are right about that. It'll be barbarous. He plans to parade you through the streets in a gilded cage. He'll make you into the whore of all of Rome. He will settle for nothing less than your utter decimation. This you have heard. From the lips of my own soldiers before they deserted me. I thought you would go quickly, Antony. Or better yet, surrender yourself to the forgiveness of Octavian. We are all long past forgiveness. You know this. Here, Consul Antony, drink. Not Roman, but it will do. I beg you, Cleopatra, leave. My children will live, but take Caesarion. He has no storied destiny before him now. 
Only a short one. If you truly care for your family. Anthony? Anthony! My goddess? He's gone. Wrap him in silk. My goddess, Octavian has breached Alexandria. What shall we do? I will see his face. He will see mine. Octavian will see the woman who should have brought him low. When Octavian arrived in Alexandria, he was led to Cleopatra's monument and found her and her handmaidens inside her own mausoleum. Halt! All halt! It has been years, and never have I seen your face so close. What do you think? Hmm, overrated. Get to know me as your uncle did, as Antony did. You will come to realize that everything in life is overrated except for me. Hmm, <laughs> enough. Your words are magic no more, Cleopatra VII Philopator. You are now a prisoner of Rome. You sound more like an emperor by the day. Better than some foolish, power-hungry girl. I am a giver of life. I doubt your manhood is even prepared for such a task yet. Antagonize as you please. I am stone to your fire, already molded against you. Fitting you have found me here. In your grave? Oh no. You will be coming with me to Rome. I have your accommodations prepared. Have you heard? Gilded bars, suited for the Queen of Kings. The people of Rome will welcome you into city limits this time, with great fanfare and much dung to be thrown. I would expect nothing better from Romans. Good fortune in your own future rule. I thank you for doing away with Antony. Saves me the trouble. His children will be taken care of by Octavia. A true mother, not a false goddess. I... I am grateful for that. And Caesarion. <laughs> the little Caesar. Only a babe when I saw him last. He is a strong boy. Intelligent. I purge the weak Ptolemaic blood. I have given the world a true leader. Do not forsake him. Yes, well. Unfortunately, it's not good to have too many Caesars. Bastard! Usurper! This is how you honor your adopted father? By murdering his kin? I hear it is the Egyptian tradition, is it not? Men! Guard every portal in and out of here. There are but three women. You should be capable enough. Cleopatra, I will return. With your son's head and your magnificent prison. No! No, you bastard, no! Octavian had caught the greatest prize of Egypt, but even in victory, he made the same mistake many men made in dealing with Cleopatra. While under guard, the Romans allowed Iris and Charmian to leave and return with a basket of figs for Cleopatra, a final meal in her beloved Alexandria. When Octavian and his guards returned, they found the two handmaidens passing into death and Cleopatra far ahead of them. For hidden in that basket was what was called at the time an asp, now known as an Egyptian cobra. As she ate her final decadence, Cleopatra had stretched out her arm and allowed herself to be bitten. The Queen of Kings went out on her own terms. She would be caged by no Roman ever again. A tragic final act of defiance, and one that did little to save her planned legacy. As Octavian promised, Caesarion was executed after serving the shortest reign of any sole Ptolemaic pharaoh and the final one. 
Egypt was absorbed by Octavian's emerging empire, and Western culture dominated the Middle East for years to come. One has to wonder sometimes, if Cleopatra acquired such a legendary rule without even achieving victory in her aims, how much more renowned would she be if she had overcome the Romans? Her battle to unify and consolidate power would have spelled out a very different kind of civilization, with less division between East and West. While it's impossible to know if we would be better off, there is no denial of Cleopatra's ambition and her incredible ability to operate as a female political figure in a male-dominated culture. Without a chance of her post-Ptolemaic ideal, Cleopatra refused to be taken into the Western culture she had longed to overcome. But the fact remains, the Ptolemies were doomed either way. Cleopatra refused to let their line be washed away. She empowered herself and sacrificed her entire life to create a new type of society. She became an ideological monument, a signpost in history, marking the path forward, guiding the way to the future. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes of Famous Fates and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Famous Fates is a Spotify exclusive. Well, not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easier for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Famous Fates for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Famous Fates on Spotify, just open the app and type Famous Fates in the search bar. Remember, it's a Spotify exclusive, so you can only find the show right here. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to Famous Fates, available exclusively on Spotify.